This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So Matt, and the scale of Elon Musk's strangeness, where do you write this story? You know, I, I have to say my opinion of Elon is rather low in his uh, governance and CEO abilities. Brilliant entrepreneur and uh, great visionary and guru. But as the CEO of a large institution or uh, even uh, somebody in a position like, say, being on a board director, I think he is often terrible at it. So in that sense, I give Elon all of his antics just a steady 10. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where, with my good friend and colleague, Matt Kelly, we take a deep dive into a compliance topic. Today, it's Elon Musk, Twitter, and the abortive board of directors seat. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, for another live episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Today, we're going to take up one of the, I would say, strangest stories lately, but when it comes to Elon Musk, they're all strange. And that is the U-turn over the weekend when uh, going from sitting on the Twitter board of directors to not sitting on the Twitter board of directors. So, Matt, and the scale of Elon Musk's strangeness, where do you write this story? You know, I, I have to say my opinion of Elon is rather low in his uh, governance and CEO abilities. Brilliant entrepreneur and a uh, great visionary and guru, but as the CEO of a large institution or uh, even a, somebody in a position like, say, being on a board director, I think he is often terrible at it. So in that sense, I give Elon all of his antics just a steady 10. I mean, the guy's, sometimes his behavior makes me wonder, I think he's fit for a straitjacket. Uh, this is one of those times and so I am not necessarily surprised that we have more twists and turns in this because that's Elon Musk and that's what we do. So for those who just arrived back to Earth from Mars, uh, why don't we set the stage for him a little bit? Uh, last week, uh, it was publicly announced Elon Musk had acquired enough shares of Twitter to become the largest individual shareholder in the company with just over 9% of the shares of Twitter stock and that he was joining Twitter's board of directors. That was scheduled to take place on Saturday, um, April 9th. Uh, on Saturday, April 9th, uh, both Elon Musk and Twitter announced that, no, he was not going to join the board of directors. Uh, on April 9th and 10th were some really interesting tweets by Elon about some of his views on Twitter, its foliables, uh, the need for an edit button, and some other uh, interesting comments uh, that did seem very board of director, fiduciary duty-like, but he's not on the board, so he can say what he wants. Those tweets have all been taken down now. So uh, with that, um, I guess the other thing, Matt, that I've garnered in reading as many news accounts as I can today is uh, does not appear any laws were broken. Uh, no securities regulations were offended by not accepting the board role. 
Uh, there may have been others in the purchase, but that's really not the point of this podcast. Um, anything uh, or, or, or where would you pick the story up at this point? Well, I think there are a couple of different threads to tug on here that do have some corporate governance dimensions to it. I mean, certainly it's salacious, but I can see why some people would wonder, what does this really have to do with ethics and compliance? Well, two things. Um, First, there are the technical matters here that uh, Elon Musk originally filed a Form 13G with the Securities and Exchange Commission, which you file when you are acquiring large... Uh, large blocks of stock to be a passive investor. And one might argue that you are not really being a passive investor if you then start firing off all these tweets when you're one of the most prolific and well-known people on Twitter. Uh, All these tweets raising serious questions about strategic decisions that Twitter has made. That doesn't sound like a passive investor to me. Lo and behold, Uh, When Elon Musk did announce today or when the company announced or whoever announced what, that Elon wasn't going to be on the board, he amended his filing from a 13G to a 13D. And a Form 13D filing is for somebody who is an active investor. Seems to me like you could maybe argue that was probably what he should have filed in the first place. And there have been some questions about should he have disclosed his stakes earlier and what was he doing? And of course, by quietly collecting all of these shares over the last several weeks or six weeks, two months or so, he's been doing it. Um, And then he announces to the world, he's the biggest single shareholder in Twitter. uh, Twitter stocks immediately shot up and he made a boatload of money already just on doing whatever it is he's done with the shares. Um, So there are some questions there. I think that the SEC's Corp Fin people are going to look over quite quickly or quite closely. But there is still, all of that aside, there's like a legitimate bigger governance issue I think of here, Tom, where yet again we see this larger-in-life character floating around a company who believes that the rules don't apply to him. And you and I have talked about several of these examples before. Um, I would say that some of the other private examples are Steve Wynn, who is at Wynn Resorts, Harvey Weinstein from his namesake film production company, and even Elizabeth Holmes at Theranos. Um, Now, in their cases, uh, they believed that the rules didn't apply to them, and that degraded into sexual assault charges and complaints filed against Steve Wynn and Harvey Weinstein, fraud fraud charges filed against Elizabeth Holmes. That is not the case here. Elon Musk has not committed anything criminal like that. But Clearly, like he is just annoying a whole lot of people skirting civil infractions with the SEC, and he has exercised some astonishingly poor judgment as a major shareholder in a company that is really unbecoming somebody of that executive stature. Um, You know, over the weekend, he sent out a poll. Should they drop the W from Twitter and just call the company Titter? That's dumb. I get it that it's cute in a sophomoric sort of a way, but it's still Beavis and Butthead. And then if that's what you want to do, Elon, just watch the cartoons on the Pluto TV network and be done with it or whatever. Uh, He had another one there where he said that uh, he had a poll, should Twitter permanently close its headquarters because nobody shows up there anyways. Again, not really something you'd want a incoming board director to do to win over the employees. And it's just the kind of stupid stuff that, you know, like, why does anybody need that? Now, I'm glad to see that Elon has started deleting some of those tweets, which he has. But 
just bad judgment. Like, what was he trying to prove there? I, I don't fathom it. I think that he sometimes just has poor impulse control. And so you do have to think about, if you're a board, how would you put structures in place to try and prevent characters like Elon, these larger-than-life, huge, swashbuckling, swashbuckling figures who think that they can do what they want and the rules don't apply to them and they like the idea of moving fast and breaking things, except you ultimately wind up with a lot of broken things. And that's not what running a company is about. Uh, so we can talk about some of those governance practices and structures, but that really is the big lesson I'm taking away as I watch Elon and whatever this farce is that he's doing here. Uh, for the record, the uh, profit made by Elon Musk uh, because of the original 13G filing is estimated to be $143 million. There you uh, go. Perhaps, uh, perhaps my favorite tweet was that he was going to the first board meeting high and it would be a smoking affair. Um, so there you go. But how does a company, a public company, really uh, protect itself in this situation? If it's a public company, anyone can buy the stock. Uh, I understand there are certain disclosure requirements. Uh, and uh, once you make those uh, uh, disclosures and uh, publicly announce that you are purchasing the stock, there's really nothing to stop you from purchasing additional stock. And I guess on the timeline of what we've seen over the past week, where he was a passive investor until he wasn't, he was going to be on the board till he wasn't. And uh, you have speculated in a tweet, well, which I will allow you to talk to us about, about some of the reasons he may have not gone on the board. But uh, I think Twitter is now uh, extremely open, not open, um, uh, could be uh, have a hostile takeover by yeah. Musk. And uh, if I were Twitter now, that's what I'd be seriously considering. Well, so that is interesting that uh, as a board director, Elon Musk only would have been capped at owning no more than 14.9% of the shares. And he had owned up to 9.1% before this whole episode happened. Um, so now as an activist investor who's not on the board, he could conceivably acquire the whole company. He does have enough money that he could do that himself. He could do some sort of private financing buyout detail a deal if he wants, because he has that wherewithal as well. So if you are a publicly traded company worried about really uh, an outside corporate raider, that's what he is. That's what we would have called him if this was still 1987. Um, how would you try and prevent that? Well, because the mechanism to do that would be to adopt some sort of shareholder rights plan or a poison pill. And some companies do have that, and you can adopt those and make it very difficult for outsiders to acquire a majority of shares, except adopting a poison pill is supposedly a no-no for all of the good governance activists. And I like to think that I'm in favor of good governance. So I am of mixed minds about, you know, do you want free and unfettered capitalism, which generally I do, versus how a company could defend itself from some sort of, you know, knucklehead like Elon Musk, who is so interested in amusement and distractions to try and force his way into a company. Um, I don't know what the right answer is there. And I do think that probably there will be a lot of speculation about hostile takeovers. I don't know that Elon Musk would necessarily want to bother with that. Might I also point out, he does have a side job being CEO of the most successful and most highly valuable car company in the world right now. 
I have a Tesla in my driveway. I think they're great. If I were Tesla's board, if I was Tesla's shareholders, if I were his employees, I would certainly be annoyed, at least, that you are engaging in this whatever it is with Twitter. Um, so like, if you wanted to try to rein in people like this, you know, there are some mechanisms, but they do have their drawbacks. Uh, at the same time, that still, it just raises a lot of governance questions. What is he going to do? Be owner of Twitter and CEO of Tesla, but then would he also be CEO of Twitter at the same time? Which he could be, but if he's not, who in their right mind would want to be a CEO under Elon Musk as chairman, especially if something like Twitter, he, which he views as a personal plaything? I wouldn't want that job. So I don't know where the company's going to go right now. The other thing, Matt, that sort of intrigued me was I can't recall a situation like this which uh, clearly delineated the various stakeholders in a corporation. Obviously, a corporation, a public corporation, has shareholders. Uh, but we saw multiple stakeholders in this case. We did see shareholders comment. We did see employees comment. We did see the board of directors and senior management comment, if if only tacitly. And we saw the consuming public, Tom Fox and Matt Kelly, among others, comment. And uh, I really thought it was a, a fascinating exercise to see the concerns brought forward by all of those stakeholder groups and how a corporation really needs to navigate between a wide variety of interest groups that at least according to the business roundtable in their statement on the person of corporation uh, are legitimate stakeholders within an organization. So we had employees who didn't, I think at least uh, I saw directly criticize uh, Twitter or offering Musk a board seat, but they raised some some difficult questions that Twitter management was going to have to answer. And at one point, there was going to be a Twitter town hall for Twitter employees to try to either put down the burgeoning revolt or answer some of those questions. Obviously, the uh, people like you and me have commented on Twitter. There's been a huge news reports. Uh, the board and senior management uh, weighed in as well, obviously by uh, offering a board seat. And then we don't know the reason uh, it was turned down, whether it was an internal to Twitter issue or whether it was an Elon Musk issue. But it was really fascinating to see the interplay of the various stakeholders in this matter in so short a time frame. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with more Compliance Into the Weeds. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because I did think that this also underlines the uh, the reality that for certain businesses, and especially in technology companies, employees are an important stakeholder that group that cannot be ignored. Um, 
my sense from what I can read in news reports and you know tweets and whatnot is that a lot of employees would have had a really difficult time and a lot of distrust in Elon Musk running the business. And then therefore, if you're Elon Musk, the board director, or Elon Musk, the corporate raider who takes it over, if that's what he ultimately does, like, what are you going to do with those errant employees who are unhappy about it? Are you going to tell them either do what I say or hit the road? Because they'll hit the road and they will just ride around the BART on San Francisco and get another job offer before they get, you know, before they even reach home. So I do think that for a lot of professional services businesses, uh, for certain classes of employees, technology employees, engineers, uh, various white collar managers who are highly skilled, you can't ignore their ethical priorities and their views on what the company should be doing, because if you do ignore them, they will have ample means to be able to depart. And then what are you doing? And everybody listening, we all know how this works, is that when new management comes in that nobody likes, the best employees leave first because they're the best and they can get another job offer. And you, the management team that nobody likes, are now stuck with the worst. And so now you have this tactical manpower problem on top of whatever strategic issues you were trying to usher in, and it becomes a big mess. Um, we've all seen that before. So it's an interesting commentary that for certain employee groups and for certain companies, your the need to align your ethical priorities with what employees want and to be cognizant of what employees want, that's going to get more important. That has been the case for a while. It's still the case and going to become more so in the future, I think. Tom, the only other point I wanted to bring up was I am not sure if perhaps the CEO of Twitter, Parag Agarwal, um, perhaps Mr. Agarwal was actually doing a governance judo move here against Elon Musk by putting him on the board. You therefore subject Elon to fiduciary responsibilities and duties, which basically means, Elon, you have to shut up and stop saying stupid things about the company you're on the board of on Twitter to your 80 million followers. And perhaps he knew that Elon would find that a very uncomfortable restriction, and then Elon would depart the board, which I suspect is probably what the CEO would have wanted anyways. Um, and a very shrewd analysis of it, even if Elon is now going off in a huff and he maybe he's going to take over a some sort of hostile bid or something, what's going to happen to the share price? It's still going to go up. And what do you want if you're the CEO? You want the high share price. So I think under any circumstance right now, the CEO of Twitter does look like he has handled this very, very well. Um, who knows how he's going to handle whatever comes next, but that's life with Elon Musk and hovering around you. Now, one of the things that I thought about over the weekend uh, was would this, if Musk had gone on the board, would it change the dynamic in either Congress or the general public for an appetite to more uh, closely regulate social media outlets like Twitter, like Facebook, like LinkedIn? And would there be a greater calls for some sort of government oversight if you take the view that Twitter is essentially a public utility? After uh, Musk uh, declined the board seat, um, I had the same set of questions. Uh, but perhaps from the 180-degree uh, perspective, is do you see this series of events over the past week with Elon Musk informing uh, the debate around 
uh, how Twitter and, and other social media platforms should be regulated? Well, yes and no. Um, I mean, what Elon Musk represents right now with Twitter is just the ability of, you know, large, really American oligarchs, because they are the functional equivalent in the United States. You know, these, whatever you want to call them, oligarchs or robber barons or entrepreneurial successes or whatever. But he showed up, decided he wanted to buy something that uh, would cause an enormous uproar and turmoil to an awful lot of people simply because he can. It's about wealth and income inequality affecting a large number of people. That is how a lot of people in Washington would see what Elon Musk was doing. Now, they're largely going to be the Elizabeth Warren end of the probably the Democratic Party, but the Elizabeth Warren end of the Democratic Party has a lot of power within the Democratic Party. So they're not to be dismissed. On the other hand, does this really affect the broader pre-existing conversation in Washington that big tech has a lot of power and should we break them up? I don't think so, um, but I don't really think that that conversation was moving very fast anyways, to be honest. Um, there are probably a dozen different ways that powerful entrepreneurs and executive figures in the United States could derail all of those conversations. If Elon Musk wanted to win Republicans over and make them say, ah, big tech's fine, all he has to do is buy Twitter and let Donald Trump get back on. All Republican interest in breaking up Thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. That's all it has to do. If you haven't done so, so I would urge I don't you to listen to know my that, recent five-part you know, series, Tax Man, about big on the tech, intersection of tax and compliance. Does raise very the intersection and why as a compliance officer do you need to be aware and, uh, of the, the tax rights of implications to regulate around what compliance on their platforms? Check it out. Tax whether or not it's on the intersection of tax and compliance. Not, I don't think it is. On the I think innovation it's just modern day version of a community podcast newspaper with on 300 the million people. Podcast network. That's all. I hope you'll join me again that next we week or we'll return with another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. As much of a bizarre spectacle of the Compliance Podcast Network. the trajectory of any of those conversations. Are there any uh, tangible lessons that we could point either compliance professionals or good governance or corporate governance uh, aficionados to, or is this just an yet another salacious tale from Elon Musk that's occupied us for the past five days? Well, you know, all the, uh, SEC compliance people who are sticklers about proper Form 13 filings, they're having a field day over this, I bet, because it's a big difference between 13G and 13D. Um, I do think that there are some interesting SEC enforcement questions uh, about whether or not uh, he is flouting the law or is he bending and twisting uh, his statements on Twitter for personal gain, that are they violating any pre-existing issues he's had with the SEC. I'm not sure, but you know, we could think about that for quite a while. I do think this is more an issue for board directors above all. It's just thinking about what would we do if we had this larger than life person show up in our shareholder pool and basically do this gigantic cannonball splash into it and, you know, get everybody all up in a kerfluffle. Um, how would you try and handle that? And best to have some thoughts about that before this person ever shows up, whether it's Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or Donald Trump or any other sort of a big larger than life person, how would you handle larger than life people and keep them constrained so they don't run your whole organization off the rails? 
And yeah, that's that's probably the biggest lesson of all here. Well, the lesson I'm going to draw is that we will not have another Beavis and Butthead reference on compliance into the weeds until our next Elon Musk story, Matt. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>